Hello, I'm Claire Bennett, host of the Original Thinkers podcast, where we take a deeper dive into what it takes to have an original thought, the impact of it, and how it endures over time. At a time when original thinking could not be more important, I'll be talking to some of our country's leading minds about their creative process and about how creativity can improve lives and make a meaningful difference. On today's episode, I speak with David Brand. David has over 40 years' experience in forestry investment, forestry management, science, and public policy, and holds a PhD in forestry quantitative ecophysiology from the University of British Columbia. David is founder, chair, and CEO of forest investment management business, New Forests. New Forests manage nearly $9 billion in forestry, conservation, and wood processing assets across Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, Africa, and the United States. We caught up with David when he was in Tasmania recently for the launch of New Forests' latest project, Activaker. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, David. You are the CEO of New Forests, which is the second largest forestry asset manager in the world. What can you tell us about it? Thanks, Claire. Nice to be here with you today. I would say New Forests is an investment management business, so we're really largely investing capital in forestry assets for large institutional investors that have broadly diversified portfolios and Forestry is one of the asset classes that they use to meet their long-term liabilities in terms of paying pensions in the future. How did New Forest come about? So I've obviously got a little bit of background on you, and it's quite a phenomenal story that I think for anyone who's hearing about original thinking from you, I don't think we can separate how you've come from launching New Forest to now without obviously a lot of original thinking in the process. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, well, I was a forester and I went back and did a PhD and I was studying sort of ecophysiology, which is how forest ecosystems function and started to work on international issues around trade and environment, protecting old growth forests, looking at the role of forests in climate change mitigation and so on. And took an intergovernmental exchange down to Australia, worked on a lot of the policy issues in Australia around forestry. And there was, I think, a moment where uh, I came to the conclusion, if the environmental services of forests are so important, why aren't they valuable? And started to work on some of the early carbon trades, sort of 1997, right after the Kyoto Protocol. We brought in carbon rights legislation in New South Wales. It was the first in the world. And it started to allow us to think about these ecological services as actual monetizable values. And then what kind of struck me was ultimately, if you're going to change the world, you have to change how capital is invested. And so in the middle of my career, sort of in my early 40s, went from being sort of a science and public policy guy to becoming an investment management guy. And I had to learn the ropes of valuation and discounted cash flows and all the different financial metrics that we use in investment. And did that for five years, just sort of sponged up that knowledge and then started my own company in 2005. And we started it with a million dollar loan and uh, we've built it brick by brick for 17 years. And now I think we've got eight and a half billion dollars of assets under management across six countries. And yeah, we've had really a 
a differentiated approach to forestry investment, I would say, thinking about sustainability-led strategies that effective outperformed our competitors. So you don't have that kind of success without a lot of original thinking along the way. Why do you think original thinking is so important in success? What I say to people is it's a frame of reference in that you've had enough experience, in my case, around the world working in forestry in terms of production of timber, science, international negotiations. You can sort of see around the corner in in the sense that you're seeing patterns. And I think that's where I've reached that point where I can understand how the world is functioning. And when something like the Ukrainian invasion occurs or we have an inflation start to arise, you can just sort of understand how the system will respond. You've obviously still done things quite differently to your competitors. And so whilst you've clearly got a unique set of skills, there are other people operating in the same space as you who haven't been as successful in terms of returning funds to your investors. What do you think you're doing differently from everybody else? Well, I think, you know, we've had some tailwinds. I'll have to admit that first. We are in the Asia-Pacific region, and over the last uh, 15 years, we've had the rise of Asian demand, which has certainly benefited our investments. But on top of that, I think we have always thought about the big picture. So, like, my grand vision is I look at the forestry sectors is kind of moving away from those extensive natural forests in Siberia and Canada and more towards intensified timber plantations in the southern hemisphere and tropics. The market demand is really rising in Asia. So if you're exposed to high-quality forestry assets in the southern hemisphere and tropics that are serving the Asian market, that's a good place to be as an investor. Then secondly is the sustainability overlay. And I look out 20, 30, 40 years, and we think about a a world of 10 billion people. We think about a world that the gross world product will triple. That's like putting three of the world's economies on the same planet. And when you think about that weight of economic activity, it drives you to thinking about sustainability as central to everything. And so then I thought about the forestry sector as really a, a source of sustainability solutions. And so we started to look at the way forests could be part of the solution to climate change. We did the first forest carbon offset transaction in the California AB32 market. We did the first forest carbon offset transaction in the Australian Emission Reduction Fund. We've done multiple deals in the New Zealand market. We had the world's first eco-products fund, which was investing in environmental market exposures. And now we think about forestry almost like a natural infrastructure that's not only providing the sustainable timber, but also providing the ecological services and that we're actually monetizing those increasingly now. And then on top of that, uh, we went downstream and we bought the sawmilling business. It's called Timberlink. And there, you know, we have exposure to what we're calling the circular bioeconomy, where we have a sawmill, and then we're putting a cross-laminated timber plant and a glue-laminated timber plant beside that that makes high-value panels that can be kind of craned into place and build multi-story buildings out of wood that are going to actually store carbon in the built environment. And in Tasmania, we're setting up a plant that will take plastic waste and sawmill waste, grind them together, heat them up, and extrude a a decking product that will be termite resistant and infinitely recyclable. 
And that's upcycling. So we're taking waste streams and making high value products. And, you know, there's companies today, uh, you take Store Enso in uh, Sweden, 70% of their revenue comes from products they didn't make 10 years ago. And that's because of this circular bioeconomy transition that we're seeing. And it's a huge opportunity for forestry investors. One of the questions I always ask when, when I'm talking to people on the podcast is, how do you think original thinking can influence change in the world? And, and why is it so important now more than ever to have original thinking with the challenges that face us? And I've heard you say before that there's almost nothing that fibre can't replace in the world. Is there a bigger problem that you're keen to see solved that you think that what you're doing is, is obviously a part of? Yeah, the the whole world economy has to go through a set of transitions, and there's an energy transition from fossil fuels to renewables. There's a, a transport and mobility transition away from sort of internal combustion engines towards mass mobility electrification. There's a materials transition away from high embodied energy or polluting or linear waste stream materials into circular, renewable, uh, sustainable materials. And there's a land use change where you've got to transition from land degradation and deforestation and and soil loss into systems that are regenerative and sustainable and and based on retaining conservation in, in the landscape. So as a company, we have tried to pick a set of three themes that we see as sort of interconnected that we can deliver with our investment strategies. The, the first is around the role of forests as a natural climate solution. And here we think about the carbon cycle and how forest reforestation, conservation, restoration can all combine to draw carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere. And, and there's been a suggestion that something like 25% of the pathway to net zero has to be through land use change. The second is through the transition to a circular bioeconomy, and we believe that we can provide high-quality feedstock that will allow those industries to grow and prosper. They need feedstock. And so as an investor, we can invest the capital to expand forestry in places like Australia or New Zealand and be those feedstock providers. And then thirdly, that transition process needs to be done in a way that delivers shared value to rural communities. So Rural landowners need to see that the transition to sustainability is a profitable transition for them as well. And so we think about models that we can implement that are either creating stable long-term jobs in rural communities or are supporting rural contractors or creating the environment where landowners can get a more diverse and stronger incomes from their land. So those are those are the themes, and, and we can do that in Australia, we can do it in Laos, we can do it in the United States. It's a universal transition, I guess, that we're trying to foster. And that's a perfect segue into asking you about the project that you're currently with us in Tasmania launching, Activeacre. You said we need more feedstock, and anyone who's involved in the built environment or the forest environment or anything that's requiring timber at the moment really would be saying, oh my gosh, yes, we do need more feedstock. Tell me about Activeacre and how that's helping to address the problem. Right. Well, first I'll back up and say we've been investing in Tasmania for more than 10 years now. We've got extensive eucalyptus plantations, probably 90,000 hectares. We've probably got about 65,000 hectares of pine plantation. We've got the sawmill, we've got wood chip mills, we've got a port. So we have like a, a really comprehensive 
set of forestry assets here, and they've just performed spectacularly. Everything has really been improved through capital expenditure and hard work from the whole supply chain of, of people here. And our view is that there's an opportunity to expand here. The, the markets are very strong. We've got the technical competency to grow trees here really well. We're internationally competitive. There's now a strong carbon price coming from the federal government through the Emission Reduction Fund. I think it's at $35 a ton. The economics suddenly look really good. So how do you do that? And we debated it and said, we want to do something different. We don't, we don't want to just go and buy farmers out and plant up everything to trees. What we want to do is find a, a business model where we partner with rural communities, farmers, and we put the trees into the areas that are not really delivering a lot of profit. So in a sense, we figure out where is the best place to do reforestation. And we talked to 50 different farmers and got some feedback from that. We then did a kind of a straw man idea of how we could work with individual farmers to roll out this program. And then we had a co-creation workshop where we brought the farmers together and we talked about what would be the right model for them. And from that, we launched Active Acre, which is a, a program where we will offer farmers a, uh, a flexible approach where they can identify the land that they believe uh, would be better under forestry. We'll plant the trees. They can have an, an income from the use of that land. Uh, often that was land that probably didn't generate an income, so it's a win-win. And they can have a share in the crop at the end. It's really a little bit up to them. There's flexibility in how the economics are structured. But this will allow us now to become part of the community. And we're hoping that we'll get a couple of hundred farmers to sign up to this. We'd like to do something like 15,000 hectares of new forestry planting in Tasmania. And if the program works, well, we can expand it to the mainland and we can expand it to New Zealand. And I think this is a really good model where everybody's engaged in collectively producing forestry, but we can help ensure it's done efficiently that we've got the market set up right, that we've got all the economics right for everybody and the risk is properly taken on at the kind of what we could call a portfolio level. And uh, the farmers, they get the improved revenue and diversification. And it's doing such an incredibly important thing in the world that I think individual farmers potentially struggle to do because it's such a small scale. And as you said, the efficiencies and the management and the risk management happens on an aggregated scale, makes it more profitable for everyone. But also there isn't any land left that's not agricultural really to plant trees. So it needs to be done in a way that can support and make existing agriculture more productive whilst also growing these high value timber products that are so essential to this circular bioeconomy. Right. And there's a mismatch in terms of a farmer who lives by an annual cycle versus forestry, which has a 30-year cycle. And so if we can convert that 30-year cycle into an annual payment, then that makes it much more aligned with how a farm manager or how a farmer would think about their overall property allocation. And so I said, David, at the start, and you mentioned as well that, you know, you started New Forest with a $1 million loan, and it's now the second biggest forestry asset manager in the world in a relatively short space of time. Do you have a process that you go through in terms of how you think about business? Do you think there's something unique that you do that has led to your ability to be so successful? 
I've heard you say before, I don't have any training in business. Yeah, but uh, we do have a mental model. So when we're thinking about an investment strategy, we sort of ask three or four questions. I, I think the first question is, is there a market opportunity here? Then what is your strategy to address that market opportunity? Do you have the capability, the, the skills and capability to execute on that strategy? And ultimately, is it something that can get to scale? And if you can answer those questions, then that's, then that's an opportunity you should seize. And I think in running a business, you occasionally have to make some bold calls. Like you have to make the directional bets, we call it, that this is the way the world is going and this is where I'm going to invest. And uh, so far, I think we've made the right directional bets. And what does it take to be able to make those bold calls? Do you have to be a little bit brave sometimes or is it calculated risk? Well, it is taking risk. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. So like that's the nature of entrepreneurial thought is that this is the way it's going. I'm going to place my bet on that direction. But it's it's not, you know, random betting. It's understanding different factors, forces. It's leading to this. Therefore, this is where we need to invest to unlock value and create good returns for our clients. Brilliant. Do you have any parting comments, David, on sort of original thinking in business or why the world needs forestry and how you see its part playing out into the future? Well, I think I would say that one of the things that's struck me is that forests and forestry have been a mispriced asset. And a few years ago, I was asked to give a speech at the Global Impact Investment Network. And one of the things I did is I sat down and I, I tried to figure out what would it cost to buy this planet's forest cover? And when I tallied it up, I think I got to 800 billion US dollars. And then I was Googling and the value of real estate in Manhattan is $1.75 trillion. So the tiny island of Manhattan is worth twice the value of the forest cover of the earth. So guess what? That's a mispriced asset because that provides half of our biodiversity. There's more carbon in forests than there is in the atmosphere. You've got tremendous regulation of fresh water. Almost all fresh water comes from forested landscapes. So that asset will become more and more valuable. And as, as the world reaches this sustainability imperative, this is where we're going to have to find ways that we can make these ecosystems more valuable. And when you say make them more valuable, certainly in terms of plantation forestry and the investments that you've made, it's so that we can access the benefits of them being the ultimate renewable, isn't it as well? So it's not necessarily just about conservation. It's about being able to have that feedstock so that we can utilise the value that timber can provide. Yes, exactly. I mean, our view is we think about landscapes and, and landscapes have to integrate conservation and production. We don't want to convert everything into production systems. What we want is to have systems that still have all the ecological functions, but also can produce those goods and services. And that leads me to always to intensification. So you need to grow more timber on less land or on the same amount of land, grow more timber. So that's kind of the imperative to us is integrating conservation and production. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today, David. I'm looking forward to seeing what the outcomes are of Active Acre in Tasmania, and we wish you all the best with that. Great. Thanks, Claire. Been a pleasure. 
Many thanks once again to David for taking the time to speak with us. Make sure to check out the show notes at originalthinkers.com.au where you'll find further information and links to everything we talked about in today's show. Thanks also to the sponsors of this episode, Original Tasmanian Timber. Make sure to visit tasmaniantimber.com.au, the ultimate resource for architects, designers and anyone interested in local, sustainable and beautiful timbers. And Porter. Porter are an Australian manufacturer and supplier of decorative indoor and outdoor mouldings and timber products. Products like architraves and skirting, ceiling and wall trims, lining boards, dowel and handrails. Learn more at porter.com.au. And finally, thank you for joining me. Join me next time when I speak with Peter Heffernan and Elvio Bryanese from Liminal Studio. It's about reimagining something that already exists. I mean, that for us is what generates our approach to new thinking. It's not starting from a blank canvas. So much of this has already existed before, but it's like, how do you look at this a bit more sideways? How do you actually reimagine this to make it something that fits this place? It's similar with the way that we looked at the materiality of the building and the interiors and the timbers that we used. 